once again, Captain Hindsight comes to this House and attacks the government for doing exactly what he urged us to do 18 months ago. Lots of words, lots of bluster, no answers. Uh, uh, word of warning. Word of warning, Prime Minister. That's not going to work with the police. <laughs> Market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's politics podcast, taking a look at all the latest goings on in Holyrood and Westminster. I'm Alistair Grant, I'm the political editor of the Scotsman and Scotland on Sunday. I'm joined today by Alexander Brown, uh, the Scotsman's Westminster correspondent, and Hannah Brown, the paper's political correspondent. Now, we are slap bang in the middle of recess in both Holyrood and Westminster. It's traditionally a quieter time of year for politics without the kind of argy-bargy of parliamentary debate. Having said that, it's not been completely quiet. There have been some interesting things going on. I think later on we might talk a little bit about uh, a row that's been brewing over the SNP's relationship with the, with the media, with newspapers in particular. But before that, I think we have to talk about uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak, Tax, and his wife, Akshata Murthy. Um, so anyone watching, reading, listening to the news over the last couple of days will have seen the row over Akshata Murthy's non-DOM status, which kind of meant she had... She was not required to pay tax on her overseas earnings. Um, now, she is extremely wealthy. Uh, I think I'm right in saying she owns about £700 million worth of shares in an Indian IT firm her dad founded. So there's estimates this non-DOM status would have saved her you know, millions of pounds a year in tax. Uh, she's now said she'll pay tax on her overseas earnings. Um, and I think an inquiry is also underway as to how her tax affairs were leaked to the media, how they became public knowledge. And Rishi Sunak has referred himself to the Prime Minister's independent advisers um, to kind of show that he followed all the rules and declaring his interests. Now, Alex, I wonder what you, what you made of this as someone who kind of covers Westminster politics, what you made of this row in general. I mean, in my informed view, it's just really funny and completely insane. The idea that you can live in a taxpayer-funded building um, and then <laughs> not pay tax in this country on your other earnings... It's absurd, and this I like. The, the, I'm fascinated by the response to it. It's so bad because I believe he was told, uh, Rishi was told by, if not his advisors, but by CCHQ to kind of come forward a bit earlier, nip it in the bud, get her to say, right, I'm going to pay all my tax here, which even now hasn't quite happened. It is absolutely preposterous. I I I tried to be rational about this and go, okay, well, you know. We've accidentally had a green card and been registered. He's been registered in America when he's a sitting chancellor. That's fine. It happens to the best of us. It does not happen to the best of us. The idea that it's also, but he tried to defend it going, well, you know, she's Indian and she wants to go home to look after her family one day. You don't suddenly pay tax. Uh, not If you pay tax in Britain, that doesn't mean that you can't go home and look after your family. They're going to go, sorry, Miss Billionaire, we have no room for you at the inn. It is absolutely preposterous, and he's taking the public for fools. And and it's a spectacular fall from grace. This is Dishy Rishi. This is the man, you know, 
the, the friend of furlough, the man everyone was tipping to be leader and was going, oh, how brave. He's the only one who might, maybe might say something about Partygate. He's the next leader. And it's absolutely pathetic. He's ruined his chances. And he's so disliked now by those in Downing Street. The briefings we're getting about him are, I mean, they're laughable. They're so aggressive. You can't believe it. We're being told now that, I mean, there was a story in the Telegraph yesterday. Oh, he's so unhappy and stressed about it. He's thinking he might just go to California. Like, if he's not going to be prime minister, he doesn't want it. Like, he's throwing his toys out of his very expensive, I would imagine, pram. Do you think it has damaged him? Do you think it's damaged his chances of, you know... I don't think he can ever be prime minister now. Yeah. I think I think it's done. Because what can you possibly say? You go, okay, well, he did furlough and then he cut it off. He didn't do Yonville's credit and cut it off. Like, his popularity had already gone way down because cost living crisis hit and Downing Street were already going, hold on, we need more money. And they, they had a plan for energy that would have helped insulate homes and the Treasury blocked it. And that's kind of been a recurrent theme of, of, of Ms. Sunak and that he's blocked spending because he's a, you know, a fiscal libertarian. So we've already got he's going to be unpopular because there's not enough money to help people who need it. And now we've got the sleaze. This is, this is a sleaze scandal. I know nothing, it's very important to stress that no laws have been broken, but nothing, it doesn't have to be illegal to be immoral. It doesn't have to be breaking the law to be questionable and unfair. And I, I cannot fathom being so rich that I'm willing to engage an admin to stay a bit richer. I mean, I don't like doing tax returns. When I was freelance, it's a nightmare. The idea of like, well, I mean, I tried to Google saver or saver accounts the other day. It's very complicated. Martin Lewis is helpful, but God, I can only get so far. And they are not paying. I think I think the estimate was that she's got out paying twenty million pounds in tax. If you say, and he, I, the way they tried to frame it, going, you know, oh, I'm sure British people understand. You know, she loves her country. I wouldn't give up my citizenship, but he didn't give up a citizenship. But he was registered as a citizen in America, so he doesn't care about it that much. I don't know how you come back from going. Okay, I'm running for prime minister, but I used to be registered as an American citizen, and I have knowingly set the rules which my wife then used to get out of paying twenty million pounds into tax while I'm giving you the highest tax burden in forever. It is so damaging. He's really annoyed Downing Street. I don't know how you go. Oh, it was you know I'm still kind of I'm still kind of good. I'd be interested to know what you think. Like, is is there any way where you can kind of frame that as not being? either just indecent or actually just really stupid. Yeah. What do you make of this happen? Well, I've also, I also think it's like raised a lot of issues with the non-DOM status um, itself. I mean, this was something that was introduced, I think, by Pitt the Younger at like the start of or the end of the 18th century. You know, it's, a, it's, it's really archaic and old and, and you just think, Okay, well, this is a this is an issue in itself. It is immoral. It is wrong, and it's it's like they said. I think it was who was it? Kit Matt Malthouse, the policing minister, raised that it was, uh, you know, the couple has acknowledged it's a it's against a British sense of fair play. Um, was kind of proposed by him, I think, and also kind of acknowledged, I think, by um, Sunak himself uh, and Ashata. So it is immoral, but like you said, Alex, it is legal. They have essentially done nothing legally wrong, and we can't say that. But at the same time, I think it has raised a lot of significant and serious issues around these loopholes that are, by and large, for wealthy um, yeah, people who are able to, to to dodge tax like this, or you shouldn't say dodge, but are able to get around paying 
for tax. So I think, yeah, it's it's an, it's an issue with um, the Chancellor. It's a personal issue with him and it's an attack on his character. But it, by and large, has, re, it has raised a lot of issues wider in society with certain non-DOM statuses like this, if that makes sense. Maybe we should be looking at these and questioning why we have these in place. I think fundamentally you can't say to the public, you've got to pay more tax than ever. And my wife and I have used schemes or, you know, played the system to get out of paying some here. And they might say, well, we've been paying it there. And actually you're probably paying more in America than you would do here. Um, But it doesn't matter. They have not paid as much tax in Britain as they could have done. And I don't know how you don't say, well, why should I pay more if you weren't? One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, we're obviously in the middle, as everyone knows, of a cost of living crisis. There's all this kind of political debate around that. And I don't think we've really seen in Westminster the level of wealth that Rishi Sunak and his wife have. You know, obviously Boris Johnson from an extremely wealthy and privileged background. Everyone knows that. But it just seems to be in a, on a completely different scale. This kind of, you know, absolutely unimaginable for most people levels of wealth. Um, and do you think... That in and of itself is a problem. If he is a senior politician, he's chancellor, he's in charge of he's in charge of you know the nation's finances. Do you think it's a problem that he is so you know his family background and, and him and his the way he lives is just so you know completely different from how the ordinary person lives? I mean, how can he possibly relate to them in a way? Do you think that's a problem? I mean, I. <sighs> It's very difficult because to get into that is then to like go, oh, and which is fine, kind of feeds into the line that the right ways to defend him. Oh, he's being persecuted for being rich. It's the last acceptable form of um, bigotry. You know, he's come here and made a success. But it obviously, it, and, there, and there are obviously very affluent um, members of parliament. I mean, Robert Jemrick's property portfolio is incredible. And then he had to get let go because he possibly helped a development that shouldn't have been done and gave funds to his own constituency when it's not on the list of um, deprived ones. So <laughs> I, 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 he's obviously not necessarily in touch. I mean, he doesn't, I, I can't imagine he understands the struggle, but you don't have to have that lived experience to kind of understand that other people aren't doing so well. So I, do, I think it's kind of, I think it's a bit cheap to go, he's so rich, therefore he can't care about us. But I think it is fair to say he's so rich he has engaged in practices which will stop there being enough money to help us. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's, it's a tricky conversation to have, and I think it's, you've got to be careful about it. But I think even in the way he initially, when he did that interview, I think it was in The Sun, actually, when he initially tried to kind of defend the situation. Well, they really grilled him, didn't they? Do you agree that it's a smear? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think it's, I think maybe for him, the fact that, you know, non-dom status and this kind of, these ways of, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, these ways of doing your tax and kind of maybe, you know, not paying tax in the way that other people do. Um, and he, it was almost seems like it was kind of a blind spot for him in the sense he didn't really seem to, to appreciate how that would look for most people and just how politically damaging that would be. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think, Hannah? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I know. I know it's fair to say that it is a kind of, you know, we can't level that just because he's rich, he can't help people out. But at the self same time, he is incredibly rich to the point that it's very, very hard for the average person to understand or to relate with a someone like that. And there is no real evidence of him 
I don't know, reaching out. I, I know a lot of people have, and, and there's a lot of, there's a big issue of xenophobia and racism perhaps coming into this conversation as well, where there's the use of the language, he's alien to the system. Is that xenophobia? Is that racism? Or is it people just really thinking this is a man who is extremely and un- understandably wealthy to them that it's so hard to relate? And part that is partly understandable and it does seem like like you said Alex why would you bother earning more and more money when you're already really rich why would you bother yourself with these loopholes when things like that like like when you're already rich and when you've already got these things it seems like really admin paperwork like you mentioned um and also something that I really haven't likes particularly about this argument is a lot of kind of uh agency being used of a woman so it's kind of using you know i am my own person and her husband rishi saying rishi Sunak saying oh you know she is her own citizen she's a private citizen she is separated from this but it's still her husband you know like anyone any feminist would argue that they have still a shared household they still have you know they still have shared morals and values and principles which is why they're presumably I mean I hate to presume anything about someone else's marriage but why they are together you know that it's a moral uh, sense of justice and I think Yvette Cooper kind of mentioned that's why they've changed their tax arrangements now because they've recognized that this is a problem there is this kind of interesting feminist argument argument that's being proposed by the kind of, uh, well, Sunak and also his wife. I think she said that she didn't want to be a distraction to her husband was also mentioned. So that's slightly contradictory to that argument as well. So it just seems like it's a bit of a political line in a stunt to get people, yeah, saying that, oh, maybe we shouldn't blame a woman for, you know, her husband and whatever and his actions as chancellor. But yeah, just to bring it back, it is um, at the end of the day, she is married to him. He has his own agency. He's been brought up with that green card. You know, he didn't end that until last October. There has been so many issues and loopholes that have been used uh, and avoided. And yeah, how how can people kind of instill their sense of confidence within him um, and how he operates again when he is doing these sharp hikes in taxes during a cost of living crisis? And this is happening in the background. And it's not it's not just about the hypocrisy. It's also the political judgment, right? Like for so long, he's been tipped as the next leader, but he's done a series of interviews that have only made it worse. First, it was when people were asking questions of his wife, it was, oh, I felt like Will Smith. You can't go after my wife. And then it was, oh, you know, it's a lay, is it a Labour smear? Probably. And then it was, oh, she's a private citizen and it's really unfair and people fundamentally misunderstand. And was, I had the green card, but I went over personally to return it. Like, oh, thank you so much. That's so good of you. It... If he wants to be leader, the the right thing, the easy thing to do would have been to go, we've done this. You know, I was so focused on delivering for the country, I didn't even think about it because it's something that I just had left over. You know, like it was a card lying around. We made a mistake. I referred myself immediately. And I'm just focusing on like getting on with the job um, to help with the cost of living crisis and go, look, we, but instead it was nothing is wrong, nothing is wrong, nothing is wrong. Okay, I refer myself to Lord Guy. And you can't, you can't have that trajectory. I mean, it, and the thing that with Lord Guy, I mean, we already know there's very few powers there. They'll go, well, you shouldn't have done it. You've given it back and carry on. Um, it just, it looks, it looks really bad. And I think if you're a Tory MP who thought Mrs. Sunak, who, you know, a couple of months ago was, you know, let's be realistic, probably making, a, you know, calling the Prime Minister out away from replacing him. It was it was there to be taken 
Tory MPs were going on to television shows and being told, we're going to pass a threshold for letters during, we could pass it while you're on TV. And it just shows that he's perhaps not the astute, clever person we thought he was, which given Anthony Horowitz's son does his, um, you know, of Alex Ryder's fame, which is surreal, does his glitzy PR videos. Do you know that? No, you're looking surprised. Yeah, yeah, Anthony Horowitz's son um, is like a digital creator or like PR guru person. And he works for, um, he works for uh, Sunak doing his like, uh, making his slick videos. Man. But you can't really do a slick video, like a slick video explainer being like, here's how much tax I got out of paying. <laughs> do you think this has actually damaged his standing among MPs? I mean, we've seen kind of polling already that, you know, Richie Sunak's public support, you know, he was really popular during the pandemic, seems to be really slipping now. But do you think among Tory MPs themselves, this will damage, damage their perception of him? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I was surprised trying to talk to MPs about this when it happened suddenly the most chatty people who were very happy to criticise Boris, they were busy. They had events they were going to and they didn't have time to talk right now and they, and they, they weren't sure what to say. So I think they're basically waiting like because there could be more to come, right? So they're waiting to see. I do think it's damaging and I don't know how... It's like if you, if you go out for Boris, you kind of... I, mean, I spoke to Tory MPs who, who support the Prime Minister and they say the fact that he's... A, I mean, literally a Tory MP said to me, the fact that he's a liar is priced in. With Sunak, you just thought he's kind of competent and clean. And now he's a bit grubby. So he's not kind of the shining white knight you'd expect. And in the past week, a lot more people have started saying to me, you know what, Penny Morden. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, and we now think, I mean, there's also now rumours he's going to get moved. Um, he could switch with Truss, which is uh, yeah. which would be really funny. Just the prime minister taking his two main rivals uh, for leadership and going, you know, on puppet strings, like just making them move about because he can. <laughs> I think to, just to move on, I mean, I, I want to talk as well about this row last week, essentially, uh, after the SNP. So back in Scotland, after the SNP had their campaign launch for the local elections, there was a kind of a row that developed because they didn't invite newspapers to come along and ask questions. So I think they invited only broadcasters and the Press Association, which is obviously the, the Newswire kind of news agency. I think the SNP said their manifesto launches later on this week. So this was just their campaign launch, but that feels, you know, kind of like semantics. And I think it comes in the back of what is definitely a perception of sometimes a tricky relationship between the SNP and the media, or probably more specifically, the SNP and the printed press and newspapers. Now, I've been covering politics since 2017, uh, and I think this has been a concern in newspapers for as long as I've, you know, since, since all that time. I know it came up during the 2019 general election in terms of concerns about levels of access. I know it came up last year in the Holyrood election, even though it was a very different election because of the pandemic. There's also been Scottish government events recently in which there was complaints because newspapers were kind of locked out, not able to ask questions uh, on these kind of online events. And I wondered, is this, I mean, firstly, Alex, you know, is this, do you think this is particularly, you know, a problem that, you know, the SNP have in terms of their suspicion of newspapers and they're kind of not really wanting to engage them? Or do you think this is more a problem of modern politics and the kind of level of access that journalists are given and maybe, maybe more of a suspicion around newspapers? I would say it's a combination of the two. For things like the UK government first, we'll go to them. The Prime Minister was interviewed on GB News by two Tory MPs at the weekend, one of whom used to be in his cabinet. Uh, and this is the same Prime Minister who, when, he was, when ITV were trying to uh, interview him, hid in a fridge uh, and then and there's, they made jokes about it later or avoided the Andrew Neil thing, um, 
we as, as Scottish media get very little access to government departments. I hound and bother them and, you know, we, we get, it's not like we're not getting stories, but they're less inclined, even stuff on the union, they just go to safe spaces like the Telegraph because they, they, they have no interest. Um, and I remember hearing the then director of communications, Jack Doyle, talking, uh, who, who left uh, quite recently, saying how he wanted to give more access. This, this is a Tory conference, talking to the, the political, ed- political editor's drinks, saying, you know, I want to give you more access. This is reported in private eye. I'm going to give you more access. We're going to do a lot more for you. I really, I know that we've not been doing enough. And so the whole point of these things is the prime minister comes in and then does a like donuts. And you talk to him. He comes in. Uh, he says, what have you been talking about? Jack says, give me the more access. And he goes, <laughs> what, 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 well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then he says, well, you know, I've got to I've got to be able to, I've got to go, but you know, good to see you. When, uh, and then he leaves. So we don't ask any questions. And it's like, that happens. And everyone just has to pretend that, you know, newspapers who support the prime minister have to pretend like he's giving access and like it's all completely okay. When it's obviously not remotely okay. Uh, so they they are already hiding from scrutiny and do not give us the levels of access that we are accustomed to. Even there used to be um, this is sorry, this become, quickly coming around. There used to be um, a PA photographer, right? So photographers for the press association go along to all events for the pool and those photos go out. Now there are professional photographers uh, who are on the government salary, paid for by your tax uh, by your tax, who take snazzy, cool, or well, as cool as a photograph of the prime minister can be of ministers looking cool and strong rather than having it being, you know, so you don't see them. They The images that get out of them are the images that they want. It is so much more about messaging and optics now. I know it doesn't seem it with how incompetent a lot of it is, but the access is being denied. Um, newspapers don't get the same questions, same amount of questions as they used to. Um, so it's not, it's not unique to the SNP, but I would say my experience with the SNP in Westminster are, they are a lot less chatty uh than mps from other parties they are a lot better there's a lot more discipline and i suppose when you're a one party a one issue party it's easier to just go oh you know press office and the press office are very helpful i mean i've never i've I've never really wanted for anything from the snp if i want you know analysis or um you know comment they're great for it but if you want to speak to a specific person and get to know them a bit like you do in in our job you know you go for drinks with these people and hope they say something they shouldn't they are a lot more guarded uh, generally and those that aren't are then treated with suspicion by some of their um, peers yeah how have you found it Hannah because I know you've not uh, been covering politics for that long so how have you found it compared to other types of journalism I mean do you have concerns around the access you're given or anything like that Totally. I, I think there is a real, real concern, regardless of parties. I mean, given this is the current issue at the moment, but regardless, it's it's got a real issue of exclusion. And once you start excluding the press, you obviously start excluding the public, regardless of what you think of a printed newspaper stance or bias, you should include everyone and make sure you're giving comments and giving the same amount of detail to all people that you're talking to and I hate I hate this uh, often kind of perceived I mean I've just come into it since about February roughly I started this role in politics Um, and there is sometimes a real boys club and there's sometimes a real issue around kind of meeting up for drinks at a pub and it feels like that when you first move into it. it feels like it could be a big boys club with people being given hints and tips because they know someone and 
I just don't think media should work like that. I don't think that's how we, how it should work. I think it should work in a sense that everyone is given an equal shot and the journalists who hold people account and do their research and do their hard work should be the ones that are praised, not whoever knows whoever because they went to the pub and played pool or whatever together. It just seems bizarre to me. And the recent scandal with uh, the SNP, sorry, I've got quite a lot of views on this, but the recent scandal with the SNP has has just kind of proven that there is an issue. I mean, it's kind of a wee bit aside from the boys' club because it's more of an issue on kind of who they trust. And there's an issue of kind of the SNP thinking, you know, the issues with paper thinking it could be quite a propaganda-based um, kind of media rolling out with the, the rise of papers like The National and things like that. Um, in Scotland, uh, I hate to tack another newspaper, but issues such as that, it could feel like they have taken a side because they know that they'll get positive press from certain outlets than they would in other outlets. That shouldn't be the case. Everyone should have equal opportunities to report regardless of what printed newspaper you come from, regardless what news uh, media outlet you come from. I think journalists in themselves uh, could get a wee bit caught up in this game as well because they feel good that they're suddenly included in the inner circle. So once you're able to get a, a comment or a quote because you know someone, you're like, oh, I know someone, so I'll hold on to this and I feel quite good. So you're less likely to call it out. But I think we should be stamping out that whole um, process in general. Yeah. And Alex, I don't know how long you've been covering politics, but do you think this is something that is getting worse or... I mean, how do you think it's changed in kind of recent years? I mean, I know one of the concerns I have is that I think, you know, from the SNP's point of view, just because I cover politics in Scotland, that's kind of my reference. I think they feel that they don't really need newspapers. They don't need them. They don't need to focus on them. So they kind of, they get into this situation where they just feel like they can kind of not invite them to things or not allow them to ask questions. And I think that, you know, whether or not you think that's a smart thing to do politically, I don't think it's a particularly healthy way to do things and I think it's kind of comes across as a you know there's a danger that comes across quite complacent and arrogant um but do, do you think things have, have got worse or do you think this has just been how things have always been in a way to different degrees I think though I'm loath to admit it there has been an element of disruption caused by Brexit Brexit show political parties they could have their own you know they could get out their own forms of news and kind of bypassing traditional print media because bear in mind most rational print media are going, here's all of these things and like actual facts. And then you could go, well, we'll have a few papers go, oh, EU. But generally, like we'll have vote leave. We'll have our own like alternate, um, I don't say news organizations, but like social media profiles or websites just to pump out information that we feel represents our argument. So that kind of showed they didn't need us as much. And that was, you know, led by Dominic Cummings. Dominic Cummings, the great disruptor, who then comes into Downing Street and suddenly it's, any spad caught, you know, no spads can have any lunch or drinks paid for. I remember trying to buy my buy a spad. He was like, I also one of my friends a tea. I was like, I was there. She's like, no, I can't. I can't. They were too worried of what would happen um, if they if they got found out. We saw um, the spad he was accused who was accused of leaking, um, being dragged out to Downing Street by police. Which I think now is perhaps a wrongful dismissal. So it's it's moved that way because of Brexit and because of the winners of that who then tried to turn Downing Street into this like our operation, our way of the highway. And it's not just, I, I know this sounds a lot, this may sound to some of our uh, listeners, like it's just journalists whining about not getting uh, access to do more journalism. But this is not just something that impacts us. 
I mean, you know, there's uh, when you remember when the Chancellor Sajid Javid, uh, the former Chancellor, I should say, Sajid Javid went. He was told he had to fire his spads because Downing Street wanted people, and you know, thereby Dominic Cummings wanted people who would be more willing to do what they were told by Number Ten, so Number Ten could basically be running everything. It's all about having one message and sticking to it, um, and that's not. And I know that seems like that, and that is linked to it. it it's not. It's got worse because they feel like they don't need us and they want purity of message, loyalty above all else. And that's kind of what's proven to be effective. And just finally, I mean, how, Hannah, how, how do you think journalists should deal with this in terms of, you know, if you're not getting that access that you want? Uh, I mean, I know Alex is quite right. Sometimes it does come across as kind of whining from the public's point of view. But do you think journalists should deal with it by, you know, becoming a bit more aggressive in the way they deal with things in terms of, I know when, um, for example, that SNP event on, I think it was Friday last week, uh, some journalists just turned up anyway, essentially, and were just outside anyway. And kind of, I think Nicholas Sturgeon then felt slightly compelled to go out and speak to them. I think that's the way to deal with it and just to try and, you know, almost that whole kind of journalism thing of just sticking your foot in the door and just not letting it close. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a sad reality that aggression has to be used and force has to be used. I guess that's not aggression, it's just knowing your rights and knowing what, because at the day, end of the day, as Alex brought up and as I said, earlier like it is it's not it shouldn't be viewed as an internal journalist problem it's a problem for the public not getting proper access or attention to certain stories to certain SNP press conference for example that's that's huge and, and the public needs that so I guess I guess it shouldn't really fall on journalists to have to take such action and change needs to really fall into how yeah, parties and their pressers operate. Yeah, I think that is quite valid action to, to turn up and go, well, you know what, we deserve to be here. We have a right. We are covering this. You know, it's it, this is our duty. We are meant to hold parties, political organisations, whoever, accountable. When I, Whenever I've had an issue with exclusion, with party politics, because sometimes I'm viewed as quite young and a wee woman, which is an issue sometimes when you're talking to a presser who thinks that they can just kind of not talk to you because you're maybe junior I've just gone to the people who are actually affected by the policies or the issues and gone well listen so and so who's actually you know not able to live due to the cost of living you know is turning to heating or eating kind of mantras this is what they've said we're publishing this regardless your comment can or can't be in it and it sounds like a threat, but it's just saying, listen, we are, this is what's happening. We need to cover it. And if you're not going to stand by that, then tough on you because you'll look bad. And we've got the people who are actually affected by what you're doing talking to us. So I think, I mean, that's always been my way around it uh, so far. And it's been quite effective. But yeah, action like that, I'd probably encourage. But it's the fact that why do we need to take this action in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, that's all we've got time for, but thanks very much for listening and thanks very much to Alex and Hannah. I should say as well that I, I think I'm right in saying that this is our last episode that will be coming out on a Tuesday morning. So from next week onwards, we'll be recording on a Friday. And I think the episode will be going out kind of later on the Friday, perhaps Friday evening. Uh, and that way, hopefully, you can then talk about the kind of week in politics, maybe talk about First Minister's questions a bit more than we do at the moment. But until then, thanks very much for listening. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman.